Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today, we are talking about Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, the 2022 film written and directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, otherwise known as Daniels. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Cayeros. Hi. Okay, so before we dive into this movie, I have a couple quick updates and announcements to share. Uh, so first, as we're looking forward to the summer, we can already see that this is going to be a very busy time for the team. Uh, there's going to be a lot of traveling and other projects taking up time. So to not make life awful for us, <laughs> we're going to be shifting our schedule and releasing episodes every other Friday. At the same time, we're going to be adding a couple things. So at the top of every episode, we'll be announcing what the next episode's film will be. That will give those of you who haven't seen the film or want to watch it again more of a heads up. So, for example, I can say right now that our next episode will be on the Martin Scorsese classic Goodfellas. We chose to do this uh, film a while ago, but today, the day that we're recording it, it was announced that Ray Liotta passed away, uh, which is very sad. So now that episode will be getting to honor his iconic performance in the film. Um, yes. So on top of sharing the film for the next episode at the beginning of each recording, we also want to give our listeners more of a chance to influence the content of each episode. So we will be creating a Patreon post on the release day of each episode, asking what patrons want to hear us discuss or analyze for the next episode. So listener, if you are a patron, you can head over to the Patreon right now and let us know what aspects or moments of Goodfellas you want us to discuss in the next episode. We will read all the comments and try to have them in mind when watching the film so we can do our best to incorporate them into our conversation. So that's a lot. Uh, so to recap, episodes are releasing every other Friday. We will be announcing the next film at the top of each episode and asking patron supporters to help shape the conversations around each episode. Got it. Great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> every other thing, it. every other where, all half <laughs> as much. All yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Segway. Segway. Um, yeah. So now let's get into everything, everywhere, all at once. So this film has had just like a crazy trajectory. Uh, the trailer came out and everyone on the internet lost their minds and were super excited about what's going to be. Uh, it had a limited release, generated more buzz, and then it had a wide release and then rapidly became A24's highest grossing film of all time. It's currently the 78th best movie of all time, according to IMDb. So it just like it started like small and built momentum and now has just like exploded, which is pretty awesome to see, especially when it's coming out, you know, between Marvel films and next to like Doctor Strange and the multiverse and all these things. It is cool to see, you know, the little A24 that could uh, get its its spotlight. Um, and so Alex and I saw it when it was in early release. And we talked about it a little bit on the podcast and one of the what we're watching. Um, and I had a chance to watch it a second time. And my experience was like pretty similar both times, which is just like the movie starts and 
it, it it's going and you're swept up in the chaos <laughs> of these people's lives and the filmmaking and how all these things are working together and these great performances. Uh, so I'm really into it. It takes the turn where it goes into bonkers land and that's all really fun. Somewhere in the middle, I kind of like get a little bit lost or like lose my handle on the thread of everything. But then by act three, it like somehow like just sticks the landing and grabs all these metaphors that it's kind of sporadically been throwing up and adding meaning to and then just like hammers each one home and I'm like emotional by the end of it. So it's a wild ride of an experience and it was uh, the highs were higher, the lows were lower, but the emotions were more intense for me the second time. Um, so it was really interesting to watch this film and watch it twice. And uh, yeah, it's it's cool that this is what everyone is excited about, like as a film. And I think that's, um, yeah, that makes me happy. It makes me want to go. Every time I watch this movie so far, the two times, the main thing I want to do is go down, uh, watch Turn Down for What? Uh, the music video <laughs> because it's yeah. the best music video of, of all time directed um, by Daniels directed by Daniels yes that's why um, so yeah so you guys I'm curious to hear your thoughts Brian why don't you start us off yeah I saw this uh, in theaters and it was definitely one of those movies where I was like I'm if this movie is what the trailer suggests it's going to be I'm going to really like it and it was, and I did, and that never happens. Um, so I, I really had a great time with it. Um, this is uh, 2022, I think, is the year that I've been waiting for since like 1999 or something. Not like, not necessarily the quality of the movies, just like the fact that everything is weird. Like I've seen seven 2022 sure. movies and like the Batman is the most normal of them all <laughs> like not even a question um i will have seen top gun by the time this comes out so i'm gonna guess that'll that'll right. take it um but you know and then we have alex and i are seeing crimes of the future in a couple of weeks that's not gonna oh, be God. super normal I'm so scared <laughs> thor looks crazy <laughs> like everything looks crazy um so i'm just really happy that like we are in this just celebration of weirdness in these movies that are actually getting like becoming box office hits and, and, you know, critically acclaimed and everything. So this movie just sort of, it did all the things I want, which was, it was weird and out there in a way that mostly worked for me. And, um, but also was like successful and like themes and did movie things that I want movies to do and all of that. So I have a couple issues with it, which I'll get into as we talk about the movie, but ultimately I, I really love this movie and watching it a second time, I was able to, you know, once you know what a movie is and you watch it a second time, you can sort of usually enjoy it more because you're like, okay, now, now I know what to expect. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I just really had a blast watching it again. Nice. Awesome. Cool. Trisha, what was your thought? This is another instance, uh, as pretty much exactly as you said, Brian, where like the trailer sets your expectations for it. Um, or at least like, provides enough of the sort of chaos and also the, you know, so much of this movie is just the aesthetic and the um, energy of it. Like the vibe, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, of this movie is just so much of what it feels like to watch it. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's just like a variety of genres and 
tones and ideas that just kind of assail you. And uh, they are not, it's not that they're not held together by an actual story. They are. Um, I think the story itself is messy. uh, But I do think there's like a lot here that just sort of works in the, I don't know, I'm trying to make like a metaphor about some kind of dish that this is. I was going to go with soup, but some, <laughs> some kind of noodle dish feels a little more appropriate. What noodles like, feels right. Yeah. What kind yeah. of bagel is it? Uh, well, exactly. Yeah, there's, there's quite a lot. It's a pizza. There's a lot of toppings on this pizza, but uh-huh. I do think it's all held together. It's an everything pizza. Yeah. It's an everything pizza, you might say. <laughs> so anyway, but I, I think... You know, my my first impression of it is just that because I have only seen it once and I would love to watch it again. Uh, is just that it's really funny. Um, it also has a lot of heart to it, um, and it is bizarre enough that it feels like the bizarreness itself is like sort of saying something or like speaking something that's a little bit profound um, into our society and like the state of film right now and like who we are. Um, so I, I do think it's saying something very timely, um, both in its form and in its story. Um, and, and I really, and I think that that's part of the reason why it's had the incredible momentum that it has had, as you were pointing out, Michael, I think there's something about it that feels like it is exactly of this moment of this time um, and that this movie does not get made at any other point in history and it does not get made by any other filmmakers ever, right? There's something very singular about Daniel's vision here. Um, and so I think that's another big thing that you, you just have to come away from it, like being like, yeah, all right. Like great. Like I, nobody else could have given me that experience. Um, and it was exactly, you get the sense that they made exactly what they wanted to make. And um, with so much, flair and confidence just like so impressive for so many different reasons so and the performances i think are phenomenal i think they kind of maybe they are the sauce that holds this pizza together (laughs) um they're so good they're all so good uh that's not how sauce works It's across the it's across the whole pizza. Flavor wise, I think the sauce is the 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 toppings can be varied, but the sauce (laughs) is across the whole thing. (laughs) Anyway, I I like I really want to talk about the structure. I want to talk about like the themes, um, and I definitely want to talk about the second act because I think your diagnosis, Michael, is that that's that's kind of where the bumps are mostly in the second act. I I agree, but yeah, wow. I mean. There's no other movie like this in the world. Here we are. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I really like what you're saying about it. It's such a a moment movie. Like this could not, as you're saying, exist at any other time for so many, like there's so yes. many aspects of it. And it'd be fun to, to dig into that a little bit also. That also reminded me, uh, and this can kind of segue to you, Alex, but seeing it uh, in a theater in a crowd is also... Uh, a great experience like having done that and then seeing it uh at home like with my mom like those were two different uh viewing experiences. <laughs> at home with mom is very different <laughs> from uh, imax yeah, packed crowd yeah. yeah because like the energy of the crowd reacting and going on the the journey of like wtf is happening to all of us isn't this a cool ride run together uh really amplified what was cool about this movie um but yeah, so Alex, tell me about your thoughts. 
Yeah, really. I mean, what Trisha was saying really resonated about it being of this moment because this movie feels to me like the internet. Like this movie, <laughs> yes. like every the title is the internet. Everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> like it's it's too much. Like there is too much coming into our brains and our minds and our eyes. And this movie, like you said, Trisha, like it assails you in a certain way, in, in a fun way, in a really pleasurable way, in a lot of a lot of it. But it it is a sensory overload in every way. And, and I think it is capturing kind of a, a moment in time of what it feels like to just be alive and to try to take in media, to take in information. It's just too much and it's silly and it's weird and it's incongruous. And you go, you go from one tab of your browsers, you know, about a horrific news article to like goofy randomness, like things that shouldn't go together are next to each other. And, and this movie I think captures just kind of the chaos of what it feels like to be, a person on the internet right now. Um, and, and, and in that way, it, it feels very much like a millennial movie through and through. I mean, like the, the Daniels were born in 87 and 88. So I mean, I was born in 87. So they're very much of our moments. And, you know, they, they, they watched those movies in 1999 that we're all obsessed with. They watched the matrix and being John Malkovich and, you know, every, everything, you know, Scott Pilgrim came out yeah. a couple of years after we came out of film school. And that was a huge thing, I think for us and it, obviously for them. Uh, so I just, I, I feel this movie, I feel like a lot of kinship with this movie of just, this is of our generation, of our time, of the internet, of the g- digital natives, of the self-taught uh, filmmaker who just goes and watches a tutorial about how to do a thing in After Effects. You know, it's it's so much of us <laughs> is in this movie, um, you know, for better and worse. And I just think it's really interesting to see. Yeah, just almost like a very pure Internet age millennial vision being given enough budget to like realize itself on this scale. Uh, it's just, I think it's the first of its kind in that way. So yeah, it's just really incredible. Once again, very specific movie of a generation and of a time and of a state of consciousness, uh, which is just <laughs> scrambled by the internet. Yes. <laughs> just brain scrambled is what we all feel like. I think. So you're saying this is Bo Burnham's welcome to the internet, the movie. Right. A little bit of it everything. It feels like it is in the same, you know, if you were to, to curate a kind of like millennial internet chaos despair, you know, film <laughs> <Art> festival. <exhibit. laughs> yeah. Like those those two artifacts would belong in that art ex- exhibit right. because I think they both come from the same place of just what do we do with what's happened the to us? Much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So maybe we can yeah dive into this a little bit because it is... I think that's really interesting and I hadn't put my finger on that before, but as you guys are saying it, I'm like, oh yeah, that clicks. That totally makes sense. This is, you know, this is the internet. This is the too muchness. And I think it is cool that these are, as you were alluding to Alex, like creators that have uh, grown up on the internet, you know, they've talked about like, you know, we, we watched every frame of painting. Like we're like, just like you guys, like we made, they made, music videos that went viral for being like totally wacky and weird. Like, so they, they obviously understand internet and internet culture and even like have shaped part of it already. Uh, And it's interesting to see even just from like a technical side of things like this, 
as you were saying, Tricia, is a movie that could only be made now because of the technology that we have to allow you to make a movie like this that feels epic, but also is clearly like low budget, like relatively low budget. But these are the kinds of things you can do on a low budget in 2022, if you know how and if you're smart with all of that. Well, it's interesting. Like one of the first things I did when I finished watching it was I looked up the budget because I was curious and I'd guessed it was about 20 million. It was actually 25. Mm. Um, so that's, that's more than I'm, I suspected not yeah. by a lot. Hmm. Um, but it is like kind of in that sweet spot where it's like, there's a lot packed in. Like, it feels like a lot of bang for the buck, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, $25 million is not a lot of money for a multiverse, like, sci-fi action movie. Yeah. Uh, believe me. Um, but I, I was curious because I remembered feeling, in, especially in the middle of the second act, like, are we ever going to leave this office building, mm -hmm. though? Right. Like I remember feeling the sort of a little bit of claustrophobia in the locations of the main, like the central action. Um, and like, you know, in the alpha verse, they're in a van in the desert. Like, OK, that feels like, a, you know, that's a very low budget, accessible location that you could maybe shoot a day in. It's very unclear that that's even what they are, where they are. I was like, who are they? They're in a van. Um but then, yeah, there's a lot, this this one office building, they like really, I mean, the, the bulk of the action takes place there. And so I think it's wisely approached in that sense where you might not feel the fatigue of like, is this a very low budget movie? Because I think they do achieve a larger scope than that. But at the same time, there are limitations to what they can do. And so... Like you kind of feel the scale pushing and pulling against itself at different moments where it's like, if these guys had had $50 million, you know, what, what else would this movie have, have been, or had been like expanded into probably, probably not like materially different in its plot or characters or themes necessarily, but even visually probably would have been dramatically expanded and, and, and envisioned um, on a grander scale. So it is really fascinating that it, as a, you know, Daniels have made a few films now. Um, this is, is it their second feature or their third? I think it's their second. Second feature. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're music video directors. Uh, and, and it is a huge step up for them, but I think it is still like, you know, it is still very bounded by the restrictions of the of the budget. And yet at the same time, the budget feels like it goes a long way. So it's cool to see that or like it's a little aspirational to see that as a filmmaker, again, from the exact of the exact same age as them. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, Alex, you mentioned being John Malkovich and The Matrix as, you know, right. movies that came out that were sort of in, a, in our collective formative years. And that was my feeling while watching this movie. It was right in the like stairwell Jamie Lee Curtis sequence where yep. I was like, this is if Spike Jones made the matrix. 
Because <laughs> let's, nice. yeah. let's not pretend this isn't literally just the plot of The Matrix, right? We have this bored protagonist who may or may not be the one. They discover there's actually this other world beyond theirs. And they're contacted by this like love interest who can is from that world, but can also inhabit this world. And they have to learn Kung Fu to fend off a corporate villain in like a cubicle thing. The villain can also take over other people and then they die at some point, but it's fine um, because they come back and can dodge bullets. And then they have to like demand that you say their name properly or don't call them by their name before they like <laughs> win at the end. Right there. And there's people in the Nebuchadnezzar van, like helping them out and looking at monitors. And give it, it's like, I was like, that was one of my biggest bumps in the movie. I was like, this is just the plot. And I just saw matrix resurrections, which is also the plot of the matrix. Um, but what you're getting at, Trisha, is that like this movie takes that all that stuff, but then it makes it sort of it gives it this like Spike Jones kind of veneer or I should say lack of veneer to it where everything is sort of dirty and household and familiar. Right. Um, so then it's like, oh, no, it's like an exit sign that we're using <laughs> or like a we're taking a riot, you know, a, a shield and pizza spinning it or whatever. It's just like everything feels like we don't need the fancy CG or we don't need the big expensive set. We can kind of do all this stuff in a really playful, fun way. And then we're going to go into multiverse places. And even a lot of those are like, this is animated or this is just regular people with hot dog fingers or whatever. Like um, there, there's a lot of the budget going into the fact that they're not trying to be ambitious with the, right. the way the movie looks. They're trying to be ambitious with the way the movie feels. Mm -mm. The ambition of the kind of mashing together of all the things and, and the way that it's all put together and some of those montages where you just feel overwhelmed, it helps to, to paper over the budget thing, you know, where you, you do sure. feel, even though we are just cutting between, you know, the movie premiere and the office building and the van and maybe one other location. A lot of the time, like the the way the movie is put together feels so epic and feels like it has such a massive scope that you don't consciously you know, until you kind of realize maybe halfway through like, oh, we're still in the office building. I didn't feel that it was a low budget movie. I was feeling, holy crap, how this how these guys get this budget for this idea. This is crazy. And so they really pull a good sight of hand with just the ambition of how it's all put together makes it feel as if it is you know, Marvel scale. Uh, and, and until you start to realize, oh yeah, we are still in these same locations um, by the mm -hmm. end of the film. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of um, Trisha when we were talking about Lost. You were talking about how like JJ can make just like a dialogue scene feel like an action scene, right? It's like the camera's whipping around and everything is so tense. And I think that what this movie does that's interesting is, you know, there's there are so many things happening at once, even even before everything is happening. Uh, so like I'm thinking about the, the multiverse intro in the closet. So it's like, that could have just been a scene that happened, you know, when she was going to get 
something from the fridge or whatever, where suddenly there's like alternate, you know, Wayman is there, whatever, but it doesn't, it happens during this like very important audit meeting. So it's like, she has to be here and she has to be there. And like literally both of them saying, I can't imagine, you know, both uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and, and Kia Kwan are like, I can't imagine anything more important than the conversation we're having right now. And then on top of that, after that all sort of like semi resolves, then we get to the elevator and then, as the security is coming, we also get the divorce reveal, right? right? So then it's like, boom, 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 boom. So it's, it's, uh, it just feels very tense where the locations aren't changing. Um, but just the, the plot is ramping up both in the, just the very intimate character plot and the crazy multiverse plot. Um, and then we get the, the fanny pack sequence, which I will always Amazing. just love. <laughs> He goes to like hit the one guard, but they duck and it hits the second guard, but then their head goes back and hits the third guard. It's just, it's like we were talking about the matrix, like going that little extra step. Right. Um, and then, you know, if you guys want to start talking about the, the second act a little, it, it does then jump pretty quickly from this thing where everything feels really focused to now we're going into crazy pants territory, right? We get like Joe Tupaki and then we get some of the alternate things and we get just like, Oh my God, what is happening? Uh, and a uh, hot dog fingers and all that kind of stuff. So, um, see, so yeah, I, I was definitely, this was the second act was the, the part of the movie. The first time I watched it where I went, Oh, I don't know if I want this. I don't know if I want like this villain, or I don't know if I want this alternate universe. And uh, I'll talk a little later about how I sort of, I'm feeling about it now. Um, but yeah, I wanted to kind of get your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, I feel like there's a interesting kind of like the the first act is doing a lot of work setting things up and like setting up the rules and all this stuff. And I think there there is a point where it's escalating and it feels tense and compelling, like you're saying, but then it just kind of keeps like doing an and this and then an and that and 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 i think uh that i was really wanting some kind of like like but therefore like some kind of calm or twist or uh a little bit more dynamics in that first hour so yeah i think having a little bit more um inserting a bit more dynamics into that section like i think it is this fun ride that they're building but i think i am missing some clear okay now we are in act to and i think that is an important beat to signal to the audience even kind of subconsciously um but like an hour into this movie i was like i i think we must be in act two but i don't know when we left act one because there isn't a a clear delineation between setting up the characters and the arc and the status quo and the world going crazy and some of that is like really cool and is like messing with your expectations in a way that I think is successful. But ultimately, that was kind of the thing that set me into act two, not quite having my bearings um, for where we were in the story and what I should be paying attention to in any given scene. I felt the exact same way. And I went back and today and rewatched the first act or like sort of the first hour of it. Um to kind of re-examine what was going on in terms of the setup um, that I was kind of struggling with. And I think there's, this is a problem I see actually a lot in screenplays that I read. Um, but when you have a protagonist that is like 
their flaw is sort of a passive flaw, right? Where they don't have to actively resist things in their life. Um, there's sort of like they're, they don't want anything, <laughs> um, in their everyday life. Um, then that's a little bit of a tough protagonist to kind of like establish very clearly what the flaw is, especially when there are a lot of other themes that are like the movie is going to be exploring. So like as a protagonist, Evelyn is living a life that we can see she's unhappy in. But the exact nature of that unhappiness is a little bit tough to pin down just based on the first act. Like, we get the sense that th there is some in the text. And, like, I went back and I really, like, like <laughs> went through the text with a fine-tooth comb as I rewatched the first act this time. And, and there, is, there is some in the text, right, where we get the sense that um, the laundromat is not her dream job and the audit is really ruining her time and her dad is probably disappointed in her. She and her daughter aren't connecting. Um, her husband is ridiculous to her for kind of unclear reasons. Um, she just thinks he's silly, I guess. Um, but all of those things don't necessarily coalesce into a super clear problem or a super clear flaw um, that, that later like does ultimately crystallize into, well, she's disappointed in the choices that she's made in life or like, you know, she didn't, she feels like she took the wrong path perhaps, but that's a little bit tough to pick up in the first act. And I think the result of that is kind of what you're talking about, where when we understand, when we see a protagonist's flaw really clearly in the first act, we know what we're supposed to be looking for in the second act. Like we can look for the signposts at the break into two, at the like beginning of the second act, at the midpoint, because we're, we're like keyed into the protagonists, like here's their flaw, here's what's happening here, here's what's happening here. This movie is so ambitious in terms of its themes and in terms of its characters, like the characters are really complex. There's kind of a lot built into the exact nature of their their relationships with each other, their dynamics, their like kind of dissatisfactions and problems in the Evelyn verse, right? In the main story world. Um, and, and I think that that's sometimes to the movie's detriment where we're, we're tracking with everything. And so like the thing that we're, we want to be tracking with, which is Evelyn's arc sometimes is getting lost in the rest of the everything. Um, and that's just talking about the character journeys. That's not even talking about the plot. <laughs> right. So like that in itself is already like, okay, now I'm also trying to take an expository information and I'm trying to figure out the rules of the story world. And I'm trying to do all of this. Also, how, how is Evelyn doing on her journey? And, and, in the second act, all of that is then compounded again by it takes a while to get to the plan. So like also then what is Evelyn's plan? If like, here's the goal, here's the plan. Again, some of these basic story elements, they are there. Like when you go back and watch it again, they are mentioned. It's not like they're not in the text. It's just that they're sandwiched into the text with so many other things that they're not being like signposted as clearly as we might expect, or as, you know, as film goers, we've been kind of trained to expect. Yeah, it's a really good point. Because yeah. I think because the universe of this movie is so insane and anything can be anything and any new rule can be added on in any given moment, uh, 
there's so much information to take in as far as just understanding the rules of this universe late into the movie. It, just, it keeps going. You know, you keep introducing new things, the everything bagel and new rules about, uh, yeah, just what uh, Jobu Tupaki can do. And uh, now Evelyn can kind of do the same thing, I guess. And so it's, it is it's hard to know where you are in the film and what you should be expecting next, because the next thing you could be expecting is just like a completely new rule that is out of nowhere, but is fun and cool and like imaginative and awesome. But it, it doesn't have to even be really necessarily a natural outgrowth of a previous rule. It can just be a completely right. novel rule. I think if in the first act, you know, there, it is all there that we see her unhappy in her life. But if once she learned about the reality of multiverses and the reality of other Evelyn's that had very different lives, if she had an active desire to just swap places or escape mm. to specifically a better universe. And I think the one in which she is a movie star is essentially like hinted at as being what she would have preferred or she she refers to that one as like oh i didn't meet you and it was amazing uh or, or i left you and it was amazing right. but, a movie uh, star who also starred in crazy rich asians because you see her <laughs> right. at the premiere does a lot of kung fu movies yeah, yeah. And so so i think i think that could have helped if if she had if because you know early on in the movie she kind of is just like trying to get away from uh everything and i think if she had an actual active desire to to reach a different universe or swap places to only end up wanting to stay Evelyn, wanting to stay here with her daughter. That could have been a clearer thing to hold on to, at least of all this madness is happening. What she really wants is not just to kind of like generally get away from the madness, but to actually become a different Evelyn. And by the end of the movie, she does not want to become a different Evelyn. She wants to be in this life with these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and it is interesting because there there is a moment, like you're saying, where that is in there, where she, you know, side teleports to movie actress world and then is kind of yanked out and uh, her husband, her alpha husband, <laughs> has to say like, no, you can't stay anywhere too long. Or like, like there's some rule that like quickly gets introduced about it being bad to stay there at some for too long or something like that that kind of cuts off that or disrupts that from being like a, a complete goal. And as you guys were just mentioning around this time, and it was like at minute 40, I think that all this was happening. Um, yeah. She has this moment where she tells her husband, like I saw my life without you. Like I shouldn't have been with you. Like I made the wrong choice. And I wrote down, like, I don't know what, what beat of the character arc this is or why it's coming in this moment. Like that's kind of an interesting weird realization for her to be having right now and it's kind of to your point trisha she doesn't start off she's not the one looking right. for a divorce at the beginning like that's another thing that's happening to her and even that change would give a much more clear like in the beginning she wanted out of this life by the end she wants in this life but it but it's not that clear and so i think when everything is happening everywhere all at once it can be hard to track all these things. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I don't disagree with any of that, but I think that the way that I read it is, you know, part of her flaw is not committing to one thing. Um, and, you know, you see that with the fact that like her, you know, what does is, what is Wayman say? He says like um, she confuses 
her uh, hobbies for businesses. Right, exactly. So so it's sort of like she thinks she is a singer and she thinks she is a chef. Like even the things that we see her be interested in, there's even like a sign spinner when they go into the IRS building, you know, like all the things um, that she has imagined are um, she, she can't just be like, no, no, I am this person. I am this person who um, it has a family and has a laundromat. And that's what, you know, and, and my daughter identifies this way. And my father is this and whatever, like, you know, instead it's sort of like, no, no, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I want to do that. I agree. It's not super clear. Um, and it could be a lot more clear, but I think it, then that sort of is like why she has a superpower is because she never committed to anything. So she's so scattered and that's sort of like kind of the, the gag of it. Um, but I think kind of what you were saying, Michael, it's like, that is the, the idea is that like, like she would rather just like live in every universe. She would rather go get to like vacation as a movie star for a week and then come back and then go do this and come back. But like her ultimately her character arc is to realize that her current life is is her best life. She just has to actually accept it. You know, it's muddy because good God, there's a lot going on in this movie. <laughs> but I, I think having watched it a couple of times and really thought about it, that seems that seems to be clear just not necessarily clear while you're watching it for the first time right i would agree with that we're like by the end i think you do yeah, right. get all of this and that's why it is right. emotional for me in the end but it's i don't have a handle on it during the movie when i wish i could be interfacing with it in an emotional way mm. in the present but just to go off what you're saying brian i think what is so special about this movie is that it works in that level of here is a woman she's she's the you know, the Chinese immigrant woman who runs like the laundromat and we're getting to be with her in her head and all her dreams, all of her possible life paths, the th things she, she thinks about and wishes she had. Like we get to have this amazing love letter to that character through this movie, which is so unique. And I, and I just I think it's so fun to watch this movie through, through the lens of, you know, just in somebody's head or just kind of an exploration of, uh, you know, just the simple character journey blown out into this crazy millennial internet fantasy. But I, I do think at the core of the movie, there's a very simple story here about a character that we almost never get as the protagonist to a movie. And it's so much fun for that type of character, that type of protagonist to get to have this movie about their inner experience and their inner journey to, you know, coming to terms with their family, both, both the older generation, the younger generation, the current generation, you know, the marital situation. And I think, yeah, I just, I, I love that Daniels took this character and made this movie about that character. Um, it's part of what makes this movie so special and why once again, like you said, Trisha, nobody else could have made this movie in this moment. And along those lines, I love that the, the character who sort of gets to kind of drive the third act is regular Waymond, right? It's like, it's fun to see Alpha Waymond. And it's fun to see like him in a tuxedo and all that kind of stuff. But it's just the, her regular husband who's like, I don't know what's going on, but like, can we just be kind to each other? You know, and his performance is so good. He just like, <laughs> he's so good. 30 years off and came back with this. Like, yeah, Quan. Not all the way off, but largely. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I love that. It's sort of like a celebration of, not mediocrity, not normalcy, right? But like just a celebration of of everyday life, really. Yeah. And when I, you know, realized 
early on, but but you know, all all at once, um, that their daughter was going to be the antagonist. I was just like, oh, what a stroke of genius! Like, I love the mm-hmm. idea that you. I mean, part of what makes this movie uh, so outstanding is that they just kept the cast that they had and they let them go to all these different places. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, the, the cast themselves like rose to the challenge, like to the nth degree. I have Stephanie Shu, like so much fun. Amazing. (laughs) She's amazing. Um, but I love that, you know, this, uh, resentment that, that is happening mother to daughter beneath the surface, right. Where they can hardly even speak to each other. Like the scene where, um, joy is, chasing her mother around the laundromat, right? And Evelyn can't even look at her basically because she's just like deflecting, deflecting, deflecting about the situation where, you know, that um, Joy wants to bring her girlfriend to this Chinese New Year's party. It's like that, you know, made literal, that antagonism made literal in the multiverse where the daughter is like, has basically been, you know, seduced by nihilism um, and like, the dark side of nihilism, because it's not like this movie is like, no, things do matter. They don't go that far. But it's like, you know, because Evelyn's conclusion is like, you're right, nothing matters, but I do love the people in my life. Um, But it is this fascinating, like, it's smart to make that the heart of the character journey for both of them. Um, And so, like, even while there are, there's plenty of sort of, like, messiness about, like, where exactly did Evelyn feel like she made a wrong turn? Like she's disappointed in herself. Uh, I wish that were a little bit neater or like there was a symbol that like I could look at and whatever. Um, or just that it were signed, like flagged a little better for me as a, as a first time viewer, anybody can be, get on board with this mother daughter relationship and making the daughter, the antagonist in the multiverse and being someone that the mother is struggling to connect with on the deepest of levels, um, is like, it's, that is the thing that'll take your hand and lead you through the second act of the movie, um, very easily. And I think it's fascinating. You know, this is, I think you guys were the ones who told me that, uh, when I was talking about Mitchell's versus the machines and, and Kanto and turning red as all being similar in my mind, you guys were like also everything everywhere all at once. Mm -hmm. And I would put this thematically sort of in the camp of those films, like very clearly, I think it has a lot in common with films by other millennial filmmakers who are wrestling with relationships with their parents. And I think that the generation gap of like, having a grandparent, having a parent, having, in this case, you know, the the daughter character, I would say, is probably a little closer to Gen Z than she is millennial. But even so, um, having this, there is a fundamental disconnect and how do we work our way through it? Um, I think is there just like a, a thread that shines bright through all of this that you can always track, even when they're just rocks sitting on the edge of a canyon. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I think what makes this movie feel specific compared to the other films in this recent genre is, once again, the internet-iness of it. Because Jobu Topaki even feels like an internet creation where she's always showing up in, like, the weirdest outfits and just, you know, mm-hmm. things are changing right. almost just kind of in a Dada-ist. It's very TikTok, Yeah, actually. exactly. Very TikTok. Yeah, you show, show poke a p- cop and he turns into... Confetti, confetti and she's got a pig you know it, it's just all over the place very it, it's like you know the adhd internet tiktok vibes and and i think that's part of generational divides right now you know gen z and like if your brain was raised on digital devices like you have a different mind than a generation that didn't encounter a computer until they were well into adulthood. Uh, and so I think this movie, I think once again, captures that in, in the kind of insane random nihilism of Jobu Topaki that feels like, you know, being raised on the internet. That is what, just what it is. <laughs> yeah. But, and I think that it's, you know, as, as we arrive at the, the end of this movie in the third act, you know, the the problems that we were flagging in the second act, I think, as as you alluded to, Trisha, is because this movie is deciding to carry with it all of these things. Like, it's going to make a character arc out of every single one of these characters. It's going to examine, a, the, examine the generational things. It's going to examine, like, life choices that you wish you'd made. Like, it's going to hold all of this and the movie just like wills all of it all the way up through the through into the the third act when I feel like it does kind of crystallize around okay Evelyn wants her daughter back like she now she has a thing that she's fighting for and that the epic sequence up the stairs where she's so not fighting people <laughs> and it's intercutting all these <laughs> all these visuals and metaphors and symbols that Sometimes they're totally goofy and insane, like Rakakuni, mm-hmm. which is my favorite character in this movie. Brilliant. Absolutely <laughs> like, brilliant. Yeah. Like all of that starts like like coming together. Like the everything, everywhereness is all at once happening and pointed toward a single thing. And I think that is when it just like really starts hitting. And then it does go to the the darker place of the nihilism and you have to let me go. And like, maybe that is the best decision. Like all these things, I think it, it really earns the emotional catharsis and honesty that happens in those final moments. And so I just remember, yeah, being in the theater, having gone on all these ups and downs and like, Hot dog fingers are funny and Rakakuni's amazing. I don't know that I needed that person to jump onto that thing to get their power up, but like, whatever, that's fine. Uh, but it it all kind of culminating in this thing uh, and what that all of that was in service of like these ideas and these like moments and themes was really powerful and really cool. Uh, and so... Uh, yeah, I just I just love that that's where 
it ends and i love the rock sequence that you talk about mm-hmm. truth like that i remember that moment it's yeah it's so great and like in the theater it's such a so quiet you know yeah. dynamics yeah. yeah it's totally it's a totally different moment but it earns you know those moments where it's intercutting with evelyn chasing her daughter and that cuts to the rock and like the rock is like mm-hmm. wiggling after it and like like those are the moments that get me of like oh yeah go rock i'm invested <laughs> I'm in you, you because the filmmakers have like yeah like imbued this so i just think it's really beautiful that all this insanity could have been in service of something like simple or shallow um, or straightforward. And instead it's holding all of this emotional complexity and uh, in my mind, basically nails the ending, which is cool. Why don't we go around and say what lessons we're going to take from everything, everywhere, all at Brian. (laughs) All at Brian. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a finger go up. Yeah. My, no, my lesson is totally, um, uh, j- just right off of that, because I was thinking about that w- my other bump, other than the fact that it's the Matrix, um, is is when this movie gets goofy. It's like goofy in a way that I personally, it's like not my my thing necessarily. Um, and but I was thinking about how it's used, and especially watching it the second time, why there is sort of a consistency. So there's it, just sort of like a lesson about how and when to use things. So the a lot of the goofiness comes from the bad guy stuff, right? So like the, I'll call it like the multiverse vomit, which is like all the Jobu Tabaki stuff of just like, everything is crazy. Every, every color I have, everything, as you were saying, Alex, like there's a pig, there's this. Um, and then, and then also, you know, yeah, the guys, the, the trophy butt plugs. Um, and, <laughs> but I was like, oh, you know, what's interesting is they're using this stuff during the bad guy sequences. So I feel sort of uncomfortable or off or disoriented during these scenes, but I'm kind of supposed to because the villain is on screen right now. Like, and you know, there, there's some, so there's something about the villain or or the bad guy, like the henchman, that makes me feel like something is wrong, and that actually works well for this movie. Whereas with Evelyn, especially as she is sort of getting her powers, it's like, no, we have a chef, we have a singer, we have a you know, a singer who's also an actor and also a martial martial arts person. So like, that's really convenient. This movie was originally intended for Jackie Chan. So I think that's the character where that, a lot of that comes from. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's like, okay, I see these characters, I see their skills, and there's a very like clear line between those. So like, protagonist we see the focused clear line antagonist we see absolute chaos and that makes us actually feel sort of disoriented and it actually kind of works in that way they saved the craziness for um like the the absolute craziness for the antagonist stuff um and then the other craziness which also i wasn't crazy about the first time is hot dog fingers and rakakuni and, and all this kind of stuff where I was just like, what is going on? This is like, it's like too silly for me. Um, this is not really, again, it's just, it's not my personal thing. It's not the movie I would make. It's not the movie I would want. Trisha? Let me ask one more question about how does it strike you that Jamie Lee Curtis's character's name is Deidre Bobidra? Because that's my favorite thing in this entire movie. <laughs> I didn't know that about her last yeah, name. If they, if they said it a lot, I don't know how I would feel about it. <laughs> it's, 
One of my favorite. That's movies. great. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis in this movie is. She's incredible. Yeah. yeah. We've barely mentioned the cast, but oh, yeah. It's so fantastic. So good. By the third act, and this is why I wanted to, you know, go first off of what you were saying, Michael. It's like, no, no, we're doing hot dog fingers, but we're staying with it. So, like, yeah. you are going to... We're in, committing. Right. Yeah. In 45 minutes, you are going to really care about these people playing piano with their feet and, you know, <laughs> touching each other's faces with their hot dogs um, or, or raccoonie or whatever. Uh, I mean, I love the rocks right off the bat. Like, I thought that was amazing. Um, but, uh, you know, remind me, Michael, you were saying, I think in our Civil War podcast, Captain America Civil War, where it was like, it was either Marcus and McFeely or the Russos who produced this movie, um, who were saying, like, the way that we get away with having our movies be sort of serious and emotional and be kind of silly and crazy is like choosing which characters get to have that thing or which sort of So when you are here, you're in this place. And when you are here, you're in this place. Um, so bottom line, basically, I like that this movie could have been so much crazier. It could have just every time we cut away, we cut away to a different place. And then you would have just stopped caring an hour in and, and be done with it. Right. But it's like it saves the ultra crazy stuff for the antagonist and even the crazy stuff that it does choose to do uh, with like the other Evelyn's it, it stays with them and it chooses like four different you know, multiverses to stay with and say, yeah, we're doing hot dog fingers, but we are staying here the whole way. So that way it sort of trains you to just be like, okay, this is, this is the reality of this movie. And then by the end, you're like, wow, you, you did it. I actually care about all this. It's sad when Raccoon is like being pulled away in the truck <laughs> and, and screaming. <laughs> I really wish, sorry, just an aside. I wish that the movie had committed 100% of the way to the Raccoon joke. And by that, I mean, I wish nobody had ever said the word Ratatouille. Mm. Like, it really bummed me out uh. when Joy went, you mean Ratatouille? And she's like, no, Raccoon. But like, I wish that just in the world of the movie, there was no like Ratatouille movie, but the movie was Raccoon. Kakuni, like that's what I was hoping for. Um, but even so, it's still really good to see a raccoon under the chef's hat. <laughs> yeah, I was so happy when all that unfolded. <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Brian. The commitment to the Evelyn yeah. kind of side universes uh, really works because then you do have like these touch points that you can cut to in the final third act montages where everything's going wrong for all the different Evelyn's in the different universes. And they're not just random. You've, you've had enough beats in each one that it's like, oh, I can, I'm following a subplot here. Yeah, it's very, very smart. Last thought, and then we'll get back to lessons. But it, it is interesting, The I think the millennial internetiness of it and what you're talking about there, Trisha, with like the, the movie references and your point, Brian, about like, it's the Matrix it's spike jones it's all it's all these things it almost feels like a step above a remix mm. like it's not referencing these movies it's like we don't need to to signal to you what we're referencing because you already know what a reference to a movie is so we're just like whatever the postmodern version of postmodernism <laughs> is when it comes to referencing movies is like what this movie is where it like it can be all these things without having to purposefully signal it because it knows the audience is going to know enough of it. I don't know if there's something really interesting about it that also in my mind plugs into the 2022-ness of it. We're like, if you're going to, if you were going to spoof a movie, 
10 years ago, I think you would need some really clear like references to those things. But there are big references and small, like the entire altitude range is in this movie and it's fine and people are going to get what they get and not what they so, not. Somewhere in between homage and plagiarism. Yeah. <laughs> is is what all content feels like these days sure is the yeah. internet is yeah. internet content um okay cool trisha what lesson are you going to take away yeah so this is not a don't it's just a thing that i've been thinking about a lot which is so you know if i could sort of like boil down evelyn's flaw problem, which I I think is unclear, at least in the first act here, you know, it's basically that she's disappointed in her own decisions in her past, right? So she like is disappointed in her present life and she wishes she had made different decisions along the line. Um, And she doesn't even, Evelyn, to to be clear, does not have like a specific idea about what those decisions looked like, Um, right? She's we know she's like interested in the Kung Fu universe where she's a movie star, but we see she does have all these other hobbies and there's like potentially other futures for her that she imagines. And in fact, we see do exist. So if that's kind of Evelyn's flaw, then I think the story or like the, the central conflict between her and her daughter, Joy, um, I think could be a little bit more like puzzle piece fitted into like Evelyn's flaw because I wish that there were a scene early on where Evelyn was more where the, the focus of the scene was less on like you shouldn't bring your girlfriend to this party um, because of old fashioned traditions that maybe I still believe in, but I'm going to act like it's just my father's problem. Like that's, that's a good signal and it's a good symbol of like a generational gap, but it doesn't quite get at, I want you to have like a very clear ambition for your life. I want you to make very clearly different decisions. I want you to get out of this laundromat. I want you to not make the mistakes that I made. And I wish that the movie did a little more to tie those things together. Um, you know, in the end, we do get a really clear articulation of that where Evelyn says, you know, I, every day I hope that you would be like less like me. Right. Um, and instead you're not, you're a mess (laughs) and I still love you anyway. But I, I wish that that were a payoff to something that had been a little bit more clearly articulated earlier on. And so, like I said, with most of my like structural character thematic things, it is it's not that it's not in there. It's that the focus could be sharpened on a few of these elements um, instead of being, you know, kind of a soft focus or just like zooming around trying to take in everything. Um, so I, I think that like those those beats in the third act might even feel, they feel very poignant already and they made me very emotional um, even on the first watch. But I think they would hit even harder um, if we had like a much clearer picture of like what's broken here at the beginning and then here's how we mend it. Same thing in the marriage plot. Um, like the Evelyn's dissatisfaction with Waymond is not super clear. She talks about like, oh, he's going to mess up the audit. Oh, he's like putting googly eyes on everything. I don't like that. But that is 
it takes a, a while to kind of like focus all of that into here's my exact issue with this thing. Um, and of course, in real life, people who are dissatisfied in their lives don't, they're not, they're not able to point, pinpoint it into one thing, but that's what movies are for, right? They're, they're for like boiling things down and making them digestible in a two hour, like block of time. Um, they're for paring down, um, instead of like this maximalist approach where we're just, it's hard for us to see what is the most important thing in the frame at any given moment. And, and again, Wayman's monologue in that relationship goes a long way, right? At the very end where he's like, here's how I fight. Here's how I see the world. Here's what I think about like kindness. You might think I'm silly, but I think this is what's most important. It's gorgeous. It's a gorgeously written monologue, beautifully performed. But again, I wish it were a more like clearly, it's just like a, a more clear echo um, or reiteration of, yeah, a signal or a theme that we had heard a little bit more clearly articulated early on. Yeah, the, the first time when I, first time I saw the movie, when Joe Butapaki was revealed, it like took me a second to realize that was her daughter because we'd only seen her daughter for like a scene, right? Like, the, like we don't actually get a lot of, of interaction with them until the village. so little. Right. So I, I could have also used just like one scene that really established their relationship and made us really care about that character. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I think those are all really good lessons and that it is kind of interesting that across the board, in my mind anyway, this movie, all the things that it pays off in the end managed to be powerful. And as you're saying, Trisha, could have been, I think, even more powerful if they had been more clearly set up in the beginning. And it's such a tribute to the performances, too. I think that the the actors are carrying a lot of that because I think what the text is not saying, the actors actually convey a lot in subtext, um, especially in the first act where like, you know, in Kia Kwan's performance, I'm just like, yeah, I get it. I get you. I get this character. Um, but when you look at what he's actually saying, it's not super clear, like who he is, what he wants, what the issues in their marriage might be. Yeah. Well, and I think that the example that you pointed out of the, the be kind monologue like can we all stop fighting intellectually i was like where did this come from movie i didn't know we were having a conversation about whether or not we should be fighting people uh in a literal or metaphorical ways it almost feels like you just wanted to stop and be like doesn't life suck sometimes audience like can we not just all agree like you know what let's just be better which i resonate with and like again feels of 2022 (laughs) to stop and have that moment um but the performance that goes along with it, like by the, by the end of it, I'm like, yes, you have earned this whole thing. Like I'm I'm with you. So I think that's that's the example that jumps to mind of like I think this could have been stronger if it was as you're saying the focus had been sharpened on that idea earlier. It's still there and it still works because of all the other things supporting it. Alex, what's your lesson? I'll say just off of that, I, I do think. I, so I agree about uh, Joy, the daughter character, you know, when they have that final conversation in the parking lot at the end of the movie, I, I do wish that there was a clear setup for whatever that payoff is, because, yeah, the, the actual conversation there didn't actually like hit me the way I wanted it to. But I will say the Waymond and Evelyn story did hit me 100 percent and not just because of his monologue, but I do think that even though maybe yeah, they're not saying you know, what's wrong with their marriage or talking about 
the divorce, I think there's so many great examples just right off the bat where Evelyn just doesn't see him. Like, like he, he just tries to take joy in these simple things in life. He puts googly eyes on the bags or he, he's dancing with the customer and fixing the machine for him. And she just doesn't see any of that. Like she, that, like that is all a waste of time. That is all, you know, being silly, being, you know, not professional, whatever. Um, so she just doesn't, doesn't see him. And I, and my lesson is basically, I love, uh, when in a third act of a movie, you do slow down and allow a nice long moment for that character change for that catharsis. And the moment I'm thinking about is when they're just facing each other and she's just looking at him and the, and the colored lights are kind of like spinning around their faces. And it's, it's a kind of an aha moment for Evelyn when she kind of, I think, what I read it as she's like finally seeing him and we, we flashed all the memories of him being kind of goofy or jumping around and dancing or singing or whatever. And, and the look on, you know, Michelle Yeoh's face when that's happening is just like melting into just like, Oh my God, like I love this person in front of me who is so sweet and goofy. And, and I think there is a really clear setup for that payoff of like, she just literally does not see him at all in that first act. Um, but yeah, but, but the lesson I'm pointing to here, I think is you know, it's the dynamics you talked, you talked about too, Michael, where, you know, the rock scene is also kind of part of that third act where we do just stop and we sit with these characters as they kind of just confront the truth, confront the reality that they've been maybe distracting themselves from the whole movie. And I think that's just always what you want from a third act is even if it's been an action movie or a wild ride, you want to just slow everything down, take away all the stimulus and just be in a moment with these characters. And this movie has this whole series of scenes in the third act that are just these kind of intimate, intense moments. And also the everything bagel black hole is another one of those things where, yeah, even though the kind of the parking lot conversation doesn't really do much for me with joy and Evelyn, the kind of just more uh, transcendent emotion of the void and the family, the generations of the family pulling the Gen Z out of the void, you know, the, the time that we spend in that moment and, and the, just kind of the raw emotion of it. Uh, I just, I just love. Uh, so yeah, I think this movie, I think part of the reason the third act feels so special and feels like it lands is because it, it dares to just slow all the way down and just, live in those moments for long periods of time in a way that the rest of the movie does not do <laughs> the, the, the time about the second act being overwhelming and being confusing. There's no slowing down. It just keeps going. And it's part of the fatigue you kind of feel there. But, uh, but the third act, it, you just, you know, it's like Frodo and Sam getting to Mount doom, you know, it, everything slows down. There's been like time jumps, but now they're crawling up the side of the mountain and barely making it. Now Gollum's here. Now Frodo's standing at the precipice, but he's not going to throw it in. And like, that's what you want from the finale is you want everything to slow down and for just the characters to be in a moment for a, a good, intense, long beat. And this movie is just like several of those amazing third act beats in a row. Uh, so I think that's, that's what I would like to study from this film is just how to construct those moments, because that's where I think this movie nails it yeah yeah well and that can kind of hand off to my lesson which is the power of symbols which we've talked a lot about made a video about right um parasite go watch it it's a good one 
But yeah, it's something that I've come to appreciate and be able to spot more so over time. And the rocks, as we've talked about, are like, that was a moment then in the theater, as I talked about, I kind of sat up and was like, oh, I'm listening movie. And not just because of the dynamics, but because of what it like meant and what it was dealing with. And uh, yeah, I think, as I've said several times in this episode, there's so much emotional juice that gets squeezed out of these symbols that are like set up throughout the movie. And kind of like you're talking about, Alex, the the parking lot scene that kind of comes in my mind almost like post-climax, I guess right. it's kind of being intercut with all the other stuff, um, doesn't have the power of the goofy fighting up the stairs to stop her from going into the black donut like power because all of that has been infused with meaning throughout. And so I, I think this movie is just a really, I think that's a, a thing I think is special about this movie is that it is over the top and crazy and bonkers, but it's using that to create powerful emotional symbols that are used to enhance the story in the end. It's not randomness just for randomness. It's randomness for emotional intent. And I think they wield all of those symbols in a elegant and respectful and powerful way in the end. And I was just like, yeah, I like this. Like you chase that rock, rock <laughs> falling off the cliff. I'm so like, I'm, re- I'm really invested in the rocks right. the whole time. Shout out to Sylvester and the Magic Pebble, which is a children's book from 1969 that inspired those rocks. Mm. And uh, it's a very, it's always been one of my favorites. But if you haven't read it, it's a good time. Also, shout out to Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Hey! <laughs> Another weird movie that's coming out in 2022. Cannot wait. Starring Jenny <laughs> Slade of Jenny this Slade. movie. It was, yeah, I love that she's in this so little, yeah. but I'm so happy that she's in it at all. The dog. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so uh, why don't we go around and say what we've been watching recently. Alex, what have you been watching recently? So last week I went and saw Men, the new film oh by boy. Alex Garland. Yep. Wow. <laughs> oh boy. So okay. yeah, if, if you were not an Alex Garland fan before, you will definitely not be after this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Trisha, you should not see this movie. <laughs> okay. Wow, what an experience. Um. I really loved about two thirds of it and it was it's a horror movie and I was genuinely having a horror movie theater experience, which I was liking. And, you know, I I love the cast. I love the cinematography. I love the music. And it's just Alex Garland, man. Uh, yeah, it just goes to a place that's kind of pretentious and shocking and gross and weird and uh it's all symbols and it all means something. Uh, but it was also pretty frustrating. Uh, so fascinating movie. I'm, I'm glad I saw it. Uh, but it's hard to recommend, uh, in a blanket way because it is not going to be for, for everybody. And I'm still trying to process even what I'm supposed to take away from it. I mean, I understand I can, I can pretty much understand what everything is supposed to symbolize, but I don't know what that adds up to necessarily. coherently and what that's supposed to mean for anything. Uh, So yeah, 
Alex Garland's Men is now out in theaters. <laughs> I will echo that it's a hard movie to recommend, but I will say if you are going to see it, see it in a crowded theater if you can, because that yes. is a really fun way to see the movie. No, because yeah, it is a, it's genuinely scary and genuinely yeah. well constructed tense scenes that I that are really great. You know, so I like I did love about two thirds of it. Uh, it's just the other third is is uh, hard for me to grapple with. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Alex and I are seeing Crimes of the Future in two weeks together. Hey. Opening night. <laughs> this is like I don't even know what that palate is. cleanser. The new David Cronenberg body yeah. body horror uh, movie. Yeah. Uh, neat. That's cool. Some people like roller coasters. Some people like jumping out of airplanes. There's lots of different people <laughs> in the world. Uh, Brian, what have you been watching? Let's make this episode even more meta. Um, I have been rewatching. Uh, movies that we have already talked about, um, specifically movies that we did kind of hot take, just salt in the theater reactions to. Because, um, you know, I always talk about like, I, I don't know how I feel about a movie a lot of time until I've seen it twice and, you know, maybe three times, had a year or two to kind of sit with it. So I rewatched The Batman. Uh, which I really liked a second time. Um, I liked it the first time, but the first time, like in a theater, I was too close to the screen. It was like just this onslaught of, you know, sensory overload. Like when you're at a concert and you just want to watch the band, but you have to like stay alive in the mosh pit. You know, I'm talking about Michael. Um, but but sitting at home watching it, just able to like absorb the the story and the aesthetic and everything was really fun. It's still three hours of people emerging from shadows and whispering cryptically to each other about having to catch the thing before the guy and the thing. And you are, I will always be the silliest thing ever, but all in all, I really enjoyed it. And if this is like, like if part two is a step up from this one, it's going to be a really damn good movie. Um, and then speaking of the matrix, I rewatched resurrections and the exact same experience the second time around. There was like no yeah. difference. It was just like the first yeah. act is really fun, all the throwbacks and stuff. And then it's like, no, but we're really just doing the plot of the first movie. <laughs> like we're going to just keep, keep doing this and we're going to keep doing this. And then, you know, by the time we get to the third act, I'm just like, I don't really care anymore. I'm kind of out of it. The, are you doing this moment still gives me chills probably because they stole the Don Davis cue from the first movie where he wakes up and sees all the machines and it's just one horn note that keeps going. But yeah, that was, that was an interesting example of a movie where I was like second time, like, Nope, exact same experience as the first time. Yeah. Consistent. And then let's bring it home with Tenet, which I finally oh, watched a second my. time. Yeah. Wow. Two years was the right amount of time. Uh, it didn't make me angry this time. I will, I will say that <laughs> I didn't feel like I can't wait for this to be over, which was a good experience to have watching that movie. I mean, it's a really impressive mess, I think, is what I kind of <laughs> came have come down on this movie with is like there's so many moments where I'm like, this is fantastic. This is so much fun. This is really cool. It's really well done. And so many moments where I'm like, stop trying so hard to like show me the thing that you're doing and try to be like so smart and clever and whatever. So it's just it's still really exhausting uh, to stay on board with, you know, and it it definitely just like it's a movie that keeps trying to like throw you off the bucking bronco is the metaphor we said before. But 
when you know what the broad strokes are, at least you, it's a little easier to kind of sit back and just have fun with it. I feel like it's one of those movies where like, you know, 10 years from now, I'm going to watch it for like the third time and it'd be like, this movie's great, <laughs> like, but I don't <laughs> yeah. want to anytime soon. <laughs> but I, I do recommend watching that movie a second time whenever you feel like you are ready to. I do own it, I think, because I had to buy it at the time <laughs> that I wanted right, to watch right. it. Uh, so I, I own it on iTunes, so I, I might as well watch it again with subtitles this time, maybe, so I can know what they're saying. Man, I own it, too, I just realized. I think we all own it. made me realize that. <laughs> uh, I, did, uh, I did turn on uh, subtitles. <laughs> you can listen to our conversation about Tenet over on Patreon. Yeah, it was true. a fun one for me. <laughs> Yeah. None of the rest of it. You can listen to our conversation about all three of these movies over on Patreon. Yeah, indeed. Yes. It would be fun to do a, a revisited series at some point. Yeah. The Matrix. That was fun. Um, well, so I'm going to I'll jump in because I was going to say I also rewatched the Batman. Mm. Wow. Uh, wanting to give it another shake. And I've been watching it in like tiny chunks when I've had free time. So I haven't actually finished it. Uh, but I've rewatched two hours of it. Um, <laughs> and similar to Brian, like I like this time, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I'm really into it. Like there are things about it that still kind of annoy me, but I'm I'm tuned into the wavelength and I'm like, OK, yeah, this is cool. If like you said, Brian, if there's more of this coming down the road, like sign me up. I'm I'm pretty into it. Um, yeah. So the Batman again is good. I like it. I should just say I rewatched it since we podcasted about it also. And uh, yeah, it rules. Um, but it is still really, really, really long. Um, and the things that I find uh, silly about it, I still find a bit silly. Um, but yeah. Uh, we have consensus here, I think. Yeah. No. I think Too long, definitely. awesome, but silly. <laughs> yeah. 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 In I do still love Gordon when he has to like trick the police officers to get Batman out. And he does the like the fake like we got to get you out of here. Like he's trying to like, you know, like look like he's threatening him. And he's like, there's an exit in the back. You got it. I just love that performance. It's great. Anyway, I just want, I just want Michael as Jeffrey Wright characters. Yeah. <laughs> Would watch. Uh, what a delight. Trisha, what have you been watching? I saw a movie recently uh, that I really loved. It was called Zero Fucks Given. Um, that is the American title. And I was like, is this just an American title? Because the original title is in French. And I wondered about the translation. But um, actually, that's a very accurate translation as far as I can tell um, from the French title. It was a movie that came out in 2021, uh, directed by Julie Lacostra and Emmanuel Marais. And uh, it stars a, an actress that I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, Adele Escarpulos. Um, it's, it's Adina Menzel. <laughs> I looked up how to say this name, so do not do that to me. Um, she's super wonderful. Anyway, this is a movie about um, airline, uh, like flight attendants, basically. And it's about like this young woman. She is a flight attendant, and it's kind of about the soullessness of flying in a lot of ways. <clears throat> both for passengers and for people who are working for, you know, airlines. And you come to find out, you know, it's just very much like sort of a quiet dramedy 
And you come to find out that she's dealing with a lot of like grief in her personal life. And so it's just sort of this character study, but against, you know, sort of the framework of this job that she's forced to do. Um, And just as someone who flies a decent amount, there's something really gratifying about seeing how like dehumanizing it can be to fly portrayed on film. I never feel like, I never feel like antagonism toward prote- toward um, flight attendants. Like, I don't think that they're the enemy or anything. I think that there's like so many other, like the corporate job that they're working is really soulless for them. And as someone who has worked like soulless corporate jobs, I just feel for them. But then you're in a situation where you're like, this is the only person I can talk to. <laughs> and why can't they help me? And why won't they help me? And like, um, there's just a lot of like the movie minds, some of those situations for comedy as well as for drama. And then it, it ultimately ends up being this like really moving story about this particular person and, and her personal life, you know, both on and off the aircraft. So, um, I really, really liked it. Uh, and actually I don't, they're not even sponsoring this episode, but it is on movie right now. And that's kind of <laughs> where I discovered it. So, um, you can go watch it on movie at the moment. Excellent. Cool. Okay. Okay, well, this has been our conversation about everything, everywhere, all at once. I think we covered some of it, some of the time, a little bit of the place. Wow. Yeah, I did it. (laughs) Uh, As a reminder, uh, like I said at the beginning, so moving forward, episodes will be releasing every other Friday. Our next episode will be on Goodfellas. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it or go watch it again. Uh, and Patreon supporters, uh, head over to Patreon and let us know what you want us to talk about for Goodfellas. If you are not a Patreon supporter, then you can head to the link in the show notes and sign up and also get a bunch of cool bonus content along with telling us what you want us to talk about for Goodfellas. We want to say thank you to the patrons for making this show possible. Thank you to our producer, Vince Major. Thank you to our editors, Caleb Berg, Graham Harther, and Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayotas. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Send us a tweet and say hi, and we will see you in the next episode for Goodfellas. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.